In a perfect world, an alert would pop up on your phone announcing, you are now in perimenopause, followed at the appropriate time by, you are now leaving perimenopause and entering postmenopause. But it's not a perfect world. And unless you're thrust into menopause because of ovary removal or chemotherapy, in many, if not most cases, it's hard to know what your ovaries are doing. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. When it comes to menopause, midlife, and what comes after, I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. If women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information. If you Google, when does perimenopause start, you'll get helpful information such as perimenopause starts four to 10 years before postmenopause starts. Thanks a lot. If you Google, when does menopause start, you'll hear again and again. When you haven't had a period in 12 months, you can throw out your tampons because you are officially post-menopause. And while that's a very specific definition, that definition is only useful in retrospect. If you haven't had a period in three months, there's no way to know if you're gonna get another one and when that might happen. But the 12 month without a period definition is totally meaningless for the millions of women who don't get periods because of maybe a hysterectomy or uterine ablation. How are they supposed to know when they're in menopause? Not to mention the confusion about when is it okay to start hormone therapy if you're not sure what kind of pause you're in. Some clinicians say you can't take estrogen until you haven't had a period for a year or have blood work proving you're postmenopause. That's not true. More on that later other than to say that you do not have to suffer with symptoms for a full year before getting help. I originally did an episode on this topic early in season one, but I decided to circle back to it for two reasons. One, I keep getting questions from women who don't ever get periods and who wanna know if they're in menopause and when to start hormone therapy. And second, I wrote an editorial on this topic, which is published in this month's edition of Menopause, the Journal of the Menopause Society. My editorial is titled, Is it Time to Rethink How Menopause is Defined? And it's created some buzz in the academic menopause world. So let me back up a little. The way academic peer-reviewed journals work is that researchers submit their articles to journals where they'd like to be published. Those articles are then reviewed by multiple experts in the field. Most articles are rejected or sent back for revision, sometimes multiple revisions, either because the science isn't solid, the design of the study wasn't well done, or the statistics don't add up. Journals are very picky about what gets published because it's a huge responsibility, and peer-reviewed journals are the pickiest. Only a fraction of articles submitted to most high-level scientific journals get published. The editor-in-chief, along with the editorial board of the journal, makes the ultimate decision when it comes to publishing or not publishing an article. I was recently elected to the editorial board of Menopause. I was honored and excited to get this position, but under the heading of be careful what you wish for, was immediately asked to review a long article about the frequency of hot flashes in other parts of the world. And then once that article was accepted for publication, I was asked to write an editorial for the journal about my thoughts on this new research. The article looked at the prevalence and impact of hot flashes in seven countries outside the United States to determine not only how common hot flashes were in those countries, but also to determine the impact. Important stuff, and the data was complex. But the most striking thing 
was how low the number of women were that had hot flashes. In the US, up to 80% of women experience hot flashes. But in this study, the numbers were dramatically lower, like 15%. And this got me thinking, was the number so low in these other countries because there was something different about these women, their diet, lifestyle, or genetics? Or were the numbers low because many women included in the study weren't actually post-menopause? Why? Because in this study, like most studies, and according to Dr. Google, women were defined as post-menopause who'd not had a period in 12 months. But what that meant is that women who'd had a hysterectomy or uterine ablation may have been included as being post-menopause due to their lack of period, but were in fact still pumping out estrogen. And obviously, that's going to throw off the data. And not just the data in this particular article, but the data of many prior studies that have been published. So I decided to write my editorial to make the case that the definition of menopause that is commonly used needs to be revised, not just because the current definition can result in inaccurate information and research, but also because it's really hard for women and their healthcare clinicians to know when someone is in menopause. The definition of menopause as it's used today, as far as I'm concerned, is outmoded. So I'm going to start by reading you my editorial that was published this month in the journal Menopause. And I'm going to paraphrase or explain terminology as I go, since this editorial was written for healthcare professionals. And then after that, I'm going to run through the various scenarios of women who don't get periods to explain how to know if you are actually in menopause and what you need to know about when and how to start hormone therapy. And finally, I'm going to explain why you don't need to wait for a full year of not having periods to get some help. So here we go. Is it time to rethink how menopause is defined? Menopause. The very word evokes emotions, reactions, and assumptions, unlike any other life transition. For many women, menopause symbolizes the end of fertility, femininity, and sexuality. For healthcare clinicians and researchers, menopause signals the cessation of estrogen production, which may be accompanied by specific symptoms and long-term health consequences. The term menopause, men's for month and pauses to pause, defined by the permanent absence of menstruation, was coined by French physician Charles-Pierre-Louis de Gardin in the 1820s. His writings spurred the publication of at least 40 new books and theses. He gets credit for calling attention to the change in a woman's hormonal and reproductive status, but has been widely criticized since he emphasized that this critical time was an inevitable entry into disease and decline. Given what we now know about the relationship of estrogen to cardiovascular health, cognitive function, bone health, and the genital urinary system, he wasn't entirely wrong. In the 19th century, using the absence of menses as a single for the end of ovarian estrogen production made sense. In the 1820s, women did not undergo hysterectomy, they did not use IUDs that often stop periods, and they did not destroy their uterine lining to deal with heavy periods. Women continued to menstruate in the absence of pregnancy until their ovaries stopped producing estrogen. Yet here we are 200 years later, and the preponderance of scientific studies continue to use the cessation of menses to define the onset of menopause, even though this is a meaningless benchmark for many, if not most modern women. Approximately 600,000 hysterectomies are performed in the United States each year. 
By age 60, roughly one of three women have undergone hysterectomy. Hysterectomy without ovary removal is a common clinical practice when it's being performed for benign, meaning non-cancerous indications. Therefore, the majority of women who undergo hysterectomy prior to age 50 continue to produce estrogen and are premenopausal despite the absence of menses. Over 500,000 endometrial ablations, a procedure to destroy the lining of the uterus, which is used as a treatment for heavy bleeding, with no impact on ovarian function, are performed in the U.S. annually. 5% of women between the ages 45 to 49 use a levonorgestrel IUD, and in many cases, no longer menstruate, despite the fact that they're still making estrogen. It is not insignificant that over 50% of women over the age of 45 may not get a period for years due to medical intervention, even though they're still producing estrogen. In these cases, women who are post-hysterectomy, women who use a progestogen IUD, or women who no longer have a functional lining to their uterus, using 12 months of not getting a period as the standard definition of postmenopause is both useless and confusing to women who are trying to figure out their menopause status, as well as to healthcare clinicians who are managing symptoms. But the bigger issue is the impact on menopause research, which rarely differentiates between women who are not getting periods because of lack of estrogen versus women who are not getting periods because they no longer have a functional uterus. Theoretically, this problem was addressed by the Stages of Reproductive Aging Workshop, known as STRAW. STRAW is the official scientific definition of the various stages of menopause. One of the primary purposes of STRAW was to provide consistent classification of menopause status for research purposes. According to the 2001 STRAW workshop, occurrence of natural menopause can only be determined retrospectively after 12 consecutive months of amenorrhea after the final menstrual period. That's where this definition comes from. But those criteria were updated in STRAW plus 10 to include blood tests, such as FSH, AMH, inhibin, and antral follicle count, which is using ultrasound to analyze ovarian function, in order to acknowledge that menstrual patterns are not necessarily definitive and also to include women who'd had a hysterectomy. This is the important part. In the majority of published research, menopause is not defined utilizing straw plus 10 criteria. Most large-scale studies of hot flash prevalence categorize women as being postmenopause even if the reason they don't menstruate is not because they're no longer producing estrogen, but rather because of hysterectomy, endometrial ablation, or IUD placement. And then I get to my commentary about the research article. In this volume of menopause, a report by Todorova and colleagues looks at the prevalence and impact of vasomotor symptoms in seven countries outside of the United States to determine if prevalence and impact of vasomotor symptoms is primarily due to genetics versus alterable variables such as diet, climate, weight, lifestyle, and demographic factors. This research determined that the prevalence of moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms was a mere 15.6% in Brazilian, Mexican, Canadian, and Nordic European women. The study of women across America, SWAN, reported that 60 to 80% of women experienced half flashes at some point during the menopausal transition, with prevalence rates varying by racial and ethnic group. In SWAN, inclusion criteria included an intact uterus, 
meaning someone who had not had a hysterectomy, and a menstrual period within the last three months, assuring that women included in the SWAN analysis could legitimately be tracked by a lack of period. But in Todorova et al., this study, hysterectomy status, endometrial ablation, and IUD status were not noted. Inclusion criteria was simply 12 months of amenorrhea, of not getting a period. In developed countries, hysterectomy endometrial ablation incidence is similar to the United States, and globally, 20 to 40% of women undergo hysterectomy by the age of 60 years. What this means is that women were included in the study group and identified as being postmenopause when they may have still been producing estrogen, potentially accounting, at least in part, for the dramatically lower incidence of vasomotor symptoms. Todorova is not the first study that reports a wide variation in the prevalence of vasomotor symptoms worldwide. As cited in the article, quote, reported VMS, vasomotor symptom, hot flash, prevalence rates vary between regions in Asia, North and South America, Africa, and Australia, with estimates of 37% to 50% in Asia, 16% in Japan, 18 to 70% in South America, 39% to 77% in Africa, 41 to 77% in North America, 33 to 83% in Australia, and 40% to 90% in Europe. It's all over the place. And like Todorova, these recent global cross-section surveys of women with vasomotor symptoms do not exclude women who'd undergone hysterectomy or endometrial ablation. In virtually every study investigating the prevalence of hot flashes, the study population includes women who are not proven to be peri- or postmenopausal, but met criteria simply because of the absence of menses. So is this wide disparity in the worldwide prevalence of vasomotor symptoms due to differences in genetics and culture? Or is this disparity because of study design and inappropriate inclusion criteria? Acknowledging that it's not practical in a large survey study to do blood hormone levels in women for whom reproductive aging status is not clearly defined, there's a need for consistency so that one can legitimately compare populations. SWAN, by excluding women who've undergone hysterectomy, has defined a population that can more accurately be evaluated for reproductive stage according to menstrual history. Other study protocols would be well served to follow their lead. For menopause research to be meaningful and for clinicians to appropriately manage symptoms, it is time to abandon 19th century conditions and adopt criteria that more accurately reflect ovarian function. And that was my editorial. Essentially, my point of view is that because of how menopause is defined in most research, the research is actually not accurate. This is a pretty bold statement, and I was a little nervous about writing an editorial which says that the current definition of menopause is confusing for women and their doctors and messes up a lot of menopause research and needs to be changed. I was frankly surprised when my editorial was immediately accepted for publication, and kudos to Dr. Schiff, the editor-in-chief of the journal, and my colleagues on the editorial board who recognized that while my criticism of the current definition of menopause creates problems in the academic world, it's an important and valid point of view. So how is a woman who's not getting a period supposed to know when she's in menopause? If you've had a hysterectomy or have a progestogen IUD or an endometrial ablation or are using hormonal contraception such as birth control pills, you're well aware already that 12 months without a period is a meaningless criteria. So I'm going to walk you through each of those scenarios starting with hysterectomy. Keep in mind that the uterus does not make estrogen. 
So if the ovaries are not removed, a hysterectomy will not initiate menopause. It is only, only if ovaries are removed at the time of hysterectomy and a woman is not already in menopause that she will enter a surgical menopause. So if you've had a hysterectomy, obviously you will no longer get periods and you won't be able to get pregnant. But again, unless your ovaries were removed as well, nothing's going to change hormonally. If someone has had a hysterectomy and then starts having symptoms like hot flashes or vaginal dryness, there's no way to know if it's perimenopause or menopause without hormone blood tests. I get into the specifics of which blood tests and when they should be done way back in episode one. But during perimenopause, one blood test may be misleading since hormones are fluctuating. If you really want to know if someone's still making estrogen, you generally need to do a series of blood tests. I take a different approach. If you're having symptoms, it doesn't matter if it's due to perimenopause or postmenopause. If you're having hot flashes, it's fine to start estrogen therapy or one of the other non-hormonal options, even if you're still making some estrogen. If you're having vaginal dryness, I'm going to treat it. I don't care what your estrogen levels are. So just to be clear, if a woman has a hysterectomy at age 35, say for fibroids, but her ovaries are not removed, she's going to continue to pump out estrogen, even though she's no longer getting periods. When she starts to have hot flashes at 46, I'm not going to do a series of blood tests to see if she's perimenopause or postmenopause. I'm just going to treat the hot flashes. The second scenario is the woman who isn't getting periods because she has a progestogen intrauterine device like a Mirena or a Laletta, maybe for contraception or to control heavy periods. Up to 50% of women with a progestogen IUD don't get periods, even though they're still making plenty of estrogen. And again, if a woman in her 40s or 50s starts to have hot flashes or vaginal dryness, it's really not important to know if she's peri or postmenopause. She can take some estrogen to get rid of the symptoms without knowing her specific hormone status. A lot of women want to know if they should remove their IUD when they start to have menopause symptoms. The answer is an emphatic no. First of all, if someone is perimenopausal, ovaries may kick back in. Pregnancy is not impossible. So you still want the protection as far as contraception. Low fertility is not the same as no fertility. But the really big bonus for keeping an IUD is that it will provide protection for the lining of the uterus. Usually if someone's taking estrogen, they also need to take some form of progesterone to prevent the uterine lining from building up. But if someone has a progestogen IUD, they can take estrogen alone. Depending on which IUD you have, it may be good for up to seven or even eight years. So hang on to it. I get into the details of that strategy in episode 80 when progesterone is a problem. The next scenario is the woman who's had an endometrial ablation. An endometrial ablation, again, is a surgical procedure in which a device is used to destroy the inner lining of the uterus, the part that bleeds every month, to control heavy or irregular bleeding. While women who've had an endometrial ablation often no longer get periods, this procedure does not impact hormones. Women post-ablation go through menopause at whatever time they're destined to do so. They just might not know it. Like this scenario in a woman with a hysterectomy, she can start hormone therapy anytime she starts to have symptoms. I actually just got a question about this scenario. Take a listen. Hi, this is Lori. I'm in my early 50s and have lots of menopause-related symptoms. I had an endometrial ablation more than 10 years ago for excessive bleeding during menstrual cycles. I haven't had a period since. I'm interested in hormone therapy to address poor sleep, hot flashes, and more. 
I, do I need to take uh, progestin in addition to estrogen for uterine health, or can I just take estrogen alone? The answer is women with an endometrial ablation need to take a progestogen to protect the lining of the uterus. Even though the lining doesn't bleed, portions of the lining may still be there and would be at risk for developing uterine cancer. In a recent publication in a population of over 29,000 patients with prior endometrial ablation, only 1.6% developed uterine cancer. So the likelihood is really low, but it's not zero. And then there are the women in the 40 to 50 year old range who use hormonal contraception, such as a birth control pill, ring or patch, not only to prevent pregnancy, but also to manage perimenopausal symptoms and heavier irregular periods. The ovaries are essentially on hiatus if a woman is taking the pill, which means that a period or lack of a period is not an indication of ovarian function or estrogen output. Even if a woman is taking her pill cyclically and has a light monthly period, the disappearance of her period is not an indication of menopause. It's an indication that the lining of her uterus is thin and inactive because of taking the pill. In other words, it's the pill talking, not the ovaries. Is it possible for someone to enter menopause while on the pill? Absolutely. Many women taking birth control pills go through perimenopause and are postmenopause without even knowing it. But unlike the woman who's had a hysterectomy or has an IUD or an endometrial ablation, women who are on the pill during perimenopause or menopause don't get hot flashes or other menopause symptoms because the pill is hormone therapy. The only indication a woman on the pill has that she's going through perimenopause or is in menopause is if she takes the pill cyclically, meaning she doesn't take an active pill every day, and notices hot flashes during the pill-free days. And since low-risk non-smoking women can continue to take the pill up to age 55, it's not unusual for women on the pill to sail into menopause without a single symptom. At age 55, it's time to stop the pill. Why 55? By age 55, 95% of women will no longer be producing estrogen and no longer need the contraception. 95% of women will be done with perimenopause fluctuations and irregular bleeding, so they don't need the pill to regulate their hormones. 95% of women will be postmenopause by age 55 and can be transitioned to hormone therapy, which is dramatically lower than even the lowest dose pill. If you really need or want to know what your ovaries are doing on their own, stop the pill, and after a few weeks, you can measure your hormone levels. It's never useful to get hormone levels while you're on the pill. I've spent a lot of time talking about women who don't get periods and when they should start hormone therapy, but what about the woman who's still getting periods? Take Ellen, for example, who had this question. Hello, Dr. Stryker. My name is Ellen. Um, I'm in my early 50s and have been crawling through perimenopause and inching my way to menopause and having those increasing hot flashes, moods, sleep difficulty, belly weight gain, et cetera, et cetera. And having listened to your many podcasts, it's clear to me that you are a huge advocate for estrogen to help alleviate these symptoms. And as such, I have reached out to my gynecologist and my primary doctor about how I can get estrogen to help these symptoms. The answer that I'm getting is they're both reluctant about estrogen. One, which um, is because they're afraid of breast cancer risks. And as well, I get this, the sense that they don't feel I'm a candidate because I'm still getting my periods every now and then. So I was getting a different sense from you that perimenopausal women can also get help through estrogen. So can you 
um, clarify that? And if so, if, if, if a perimenopausal woman should be using estrogen, where do I get a new gynecologist that might be in a, alignment with your findings? So frustrating. Let's start with the fact that if your doctors are telling you you shouldn't take estrogen because it will give you breast cancer, what that tells me is that they may otherwise be good doctors, but they're not menopause experts. So it's hardly surprising that they're not willing to give you some estrogen during perimenopause. This scenario reminds me of so many patients I've seen. Eileen, for example, was a 48-year-old dentist who came to see me because she was, like you, beyond frustrated that her regular gynecologist refused to give her hormone therapy, despite the fact that she hadn't slept for months because of night sweats. And she was starting to have vaginal dryness beyond what her lube could take care of. Her periods were there, but really irregular. And for the last two years, a light period would show up roughly every six or seven months. When I saw her, she hadn't had a period for eight months. She'd done her homework and was very comfortable with the idea of taking hormone therapy, but her doctor told her that not only did she need to wait until she'd been without a period for 12 months, but that she also needed to try some non-hormonal products first, like black cohosh. Estrogen should be a last resort as opposed to a first resort and should not be started until the definition of no longer being perimenopausal. Sounds like you and Eileen have the same gynecologist. Fortunately, she knew enough to move on and get a second opinion. There was no way she was going to wait four more months to get a decent night's sleep, and no way was she going to use a product that more likely than not wouldn't be beneficial. The strategy for giving hormone therapy is a little different in perimenopause than menopause, depending on how often someone's getting periods and what symptoms they're having. But there is no reason to not give some form of hormone therapy. In her case, I got her started with the transdermal estrogen gel and oral micronized progesterone, and within two weeks, she was sleeping through the night. She was really grateful. I suspect her patients were also grateful that the person drooling in their mouth wasn't so sleep-deprived. Once again, the definition of menopause and a lot of misinformation on the part of medical professionals was getting in the way of getting help. So yes, you need to see a menopause expert. Episode 46, How to Find a Clinician Who Will Listen, walks you through the best way to find someone who can help you. And thanks for your question. To summarize, if you've had a hysterectomy and don't know if you're in menopause, it doesn't matter. Just treat the symptoms. If you don't get periods because you have a progestogen IUD and don't know if you're in menopause, it doesn't matter. Just treat the symptoms. If you've had an endometrial ablation and don't know if you're in menopause, just treat the symptoms, but you need to protect the lining of the uterus. And if you're taking hormonal contraception like a pill patch or ring and are wondering if you're in menopause, stop wondering and just keep taking the pill until you're 55. But if you really want to know, you can stop taking your pill and measure blood hormone levels. And even if you do get periods, you do not need to wait until you've been without a period for a year before getting treated. There's a lot more information on that topic in episode 23, Welcome to perimenopause. So I think you get the message. Sometimes it's difficult to know when perimenopause ends and menopause starts in women who don't get periods. But in most cases, you really don't need to know. Just get help with whatever symptoms are making your life miserable. And if you do get regular menstrual periods and haven't had a period in six months and are having all day, all night hot flashes, and someone has told you you need to wait until you haven't had a period for 12 months before starting hormone therapy, 
That isn't true. Another reason to change the definition. Thanks for joining me. You'll find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. Go to drstriker.com to sign up for my free newsletter and follow Francie as she navigates her way through midlife, menopause, and beyond.